What's up, good news? I am glad to be back with you guys today. I'm going to adjust my microphone because I'm kind of yelling at you today. Howdy, everybody. So I am youth pastor and associate minister Jonathan Sixto's been with Good News Church almost 32 years next month, if you can believe it. I believe the kids say, sheesh. So I'm glad. It's been a while since we've had class. We finished our squad series. Uh, Hopefully that kind of gave you some encouragement, some wisdom when it comes to your friendships and your relationships. And we're going to start a a new message today, kind of a one-off. I don't believe it'll be a series, but who knows? We'll just hands up wherever God wants to take us today. And, oh, I'm already giving away the scripture. Okay. (laughs) So I want to encourage you guys, if you want to go back and see the squad series, it was really good. It was about friendships. It was the way to look for a godly friend. It was the way to, if you have to, confront a godly friend. Or if the Lord is leading you to maybe cut off someone who is being, what do the kids call it, toxic in your life, then that's something you can do at youtube.com slash gncvictoria. And I have some audio stuff. I'm actually going to redo this message here on audio only, kind of clean it up, kind of go a little deeper into a few of the points and post that on our Anchor site, anchor.fm slash GNC Victoria. And we do it for the kids. We do it for the culture. We do it because this is where God has called me to be faithful in this season. So if you enjoy today's message, it speaks to you, it encourages you, share it with a friend, send it to somebody you know. But we are going to open up today in a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus who came and lived a perfect life, who died in our place, and who rose victorious from the grave so that we can walk in victory, we can walk in authority. And today, let our hearts be open to hear what you have to say to us. And even the people that we share this with, even if we go back and hear it again, God, show us even deeper revelations as we hear your word. And everybody said... Amen. And everybody in the chat said amen. I wonder if I can, can I? No, I am not signed into the chat. I can only see the chat. So we are going to start off. You may have noticed some familiar imagery here with the uh, chevron pattern. Did you guys know that's what it's called, the chevron pattern? We used to, in Yorktown, have a gas station. And it had those two Vs, one on top of the other. And it was called, wait for it, chevron. Yeah. It's where, well, then it became... Subway, I believe. I think it's a subway now, right? Because that sub, where the subway is at, it used to be a gas station way back in there. You probably don't remember. Yeah. You remember where, so VP Racing Fuels is now, was Conoco. You remember that? Yeah. Okay, all right. And then the Shell has always been the Shell, but it used to, yeah, there used to be an Exxon. across, And then they built the Texan and Tiger Toad died. The Exxon just, so now we have a Valero, a Shell, VP Racing Fuels in Yorktown. Yeah, how do we have how do we have three gas stations and only one fast food restaurant? We need a Wendy's. We need a Wiener Schnitzel. We need something besides Dairy Queen with their two employees and one drive-through because <laughs> they don't let you in. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, this is a Chevron, <laughs> so <laughs> and it should look what I was going for the aesthetic, as the kids say, the fit. I was going for some Charlie Brown. So if you know who Charlie Brown is, uh, then you know what I'm talking about when I say good grief. Because Charlie Brown, he's just kind of like a B-list character. I mean, he's the protagonist, obviously, but nothing good really happens in his life. 
And he's most famous, if you've probably seen this before, they play like the Thanksgiving special and the Christmas special of Charlie Brown, and they gather around his sad little tree. You know what I'm talking about? So he's most famous for what happens with him and with Lucy. Lucy is bossy. She's this girl who, she's loudmouthed, and she's got her opinions. And she always says, Charlie Brown, kick this football. She holds the football. And he's like, no, Lucy, you're going to move it right when I kick. And she's like, no, I won't. Honest, I won't. And so he gets a running start, and here comes Charlie Brown, and he's like, this is it. I'm really going to kick it. And what do you think she does? She moves the football, and he goes flying in the air, and boom, he lands on his back. And she's laughing, and she's like, you blockhead, you fell for it. And Charlie Brown's famous catchphrase, because all these things go wrong in his life, he says, good grief. And I think you said your mom says that too. That's probably where she learned it because he's been around since I think the 50s or 60s, that cartoon. Old school. Because he started as a newspaper comic strip. Then they made like the animated movies. Now they've got like new animated movies. They actually have a computer animated one that's pretty cool because he's like not full 3D, but he's like 2.5D. Like his ears kind of a little raised, but when he turns, he's still like a flathead. It's crazy. But they're good. They're wholesome movies. Charlie Brown, his arguably more famous dog, his name's Snoopy. You guys have ever seen Snoopy, right? He used to be kind of a pop culture icon himself back in the early 80s, 90s, thousands. Joe Cool. But Charlie Brown, he always says, good grief. And it's an exasperation. You know, we all have our cultural ways of saying good grief or aw shucks or however we say it. We're exasperated. We don't feel good. We're like, ugh. And so... This message was birthed out of some things that the Lord is kind of walking me through. And thinking of you guys and thinking of where we have been in our lives, I thought to myself, you know, we've all experienced some level of grief. Some of us uh, have gone through things that others have not. Some of us, maybe some of you watching, have gone through some very heavy things. And, and you think, you know what, Brother Jonathan, I know what grief feels like. Because grief is a mourning of some kind of loss. Mourning of some kind of loss. And so today we're going to be focusing on Psalms 13, but before I throw up the scripture, I want to tell you the three areas that we are going to focus on in this message, good grief. We're going to talk about grief over death whenever someone dies, and we grieve that. We're going to talk about grief over friendships or relationships. Can I get an amen? And the third thing we're going to finish up with today is grief when it comes to our sin. It's going to be interesting. We're going to go ahead and get into the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and scroll over to Psalms 13. I like to highlight in the Bible app, make little verse images, or leave little notes for myself. So if I come back across the scripture later, I'll remember, oh, what was God doing in my life during that time? So Psalms 13, this is a Psalm of David, and he is going through it. I think the kids say, it do be like that sometimes. You guys still say that? My little behind the times? Okay. So back in 2018, it did be like that sometimes, but it's 2021, so we'll see where the Lord leads. But David is walking us through grief, and we're going to read this raw, this very honest, right? This is King David, the guy who danced before the Lord. Well, he's in a cave, and he's basically crying his eyeballs out. And this is what he says. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. 
Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And there's a lot going on in the scripture, right? Normally, and I don't know, you know, if you're watching, you go to a different youth group or a different church, it's very common for preachers to just kind of encourage, 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 encourage. And that's good, right? We need encouragement. We just finished our squad series encouraging you guys for the school year. We've done series in the past where we encourage you not to be afraid. We encourage you uh, when COVID started and we did, excuse me, Joshua and the uncharted territory and how the Lord was leading him and the Israelites in places that were afraid because we were also completely shut down. We were virtual only. That was uncharted territory. So I've given you guys a lot of encouragement, but today I want us to realize that encouragement isn't always ending in like a happy note. You know, we say like, oh, you know, congratulations, you uh, passed the grade. Congratulations, you got your license. Congratulations, you made the team. Y'all won the game. But sometimes the encouragement needs to come from a place of failure, saying, hey, I know that you're going through it and you need some encouragement. And that's what we're going to talk about right now, as soon as I take a sip. All right. So here's what I want to start with, okay? And we're going to be raw. We're going to be honest. For some of you, if you're watching and you're like, you know what, Brother Jonathan, I'm just going to put it on pause here and just kind of talk to God because it's pretty intense. We're not going to be intentionally tear-jerking or anything like that. But in this message, good grief, we may talk about some things that you find uh, not upsetting, but that you might find, man, that really, that really hits me, you know? Like the kids say, it just hits different. We still say that? It still it hits different. Okay. So, this well, the Word of God hits us sometimes when we need it. So, here's what I want to start with. The first thing is that David is honest with God. You know, we talked about when we were talking about the squad series and how we approach Jesus, that many times we, we put on our best, right? Like, well, Jesus is like my coach. I got I to gotta put on my best before my coach or put on my best for my teacher. Sometimes when we come to God, we say, I got to put on my best for God. And I was reading my Bible this week, and I was thinking to myself, Many times, I'll be doing the most when I pray. You know what I mean? Most of you, if you've heard me pray, it's fairly poetic because God's blessed me with language. And those of you who don't know, I'm also, you know, a freestyle rapper on the side. I've got some SoundCloud, some Spotify stuff. I do it for the culture. But when it comes to prayer, it's not a performance. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're before a coach, you got to put your best foot forward and you go, yes, sir. And you got to fire out of the blocks and got to get your hand placement right. Or you got to get your pace right and good form and don't clench your fist when you run, right? You got to relax your hand as you run. But when it comes to God, David is holding nothing back. And I was challenged this week as I was reading and meditating on this. I'm like, man, David, the Bible, David slayed Goliath and David was a king and all these things. But Despite all of that, when he came to God, he was just David. And he starts off, what are you doing, God? That's very honest. You know what I'm saying? That's very raw. And many times, whenever we feel disappointed with God, uh uh-oh, that's kind of dangerous, right? We say, well, Brother Jonathan, I don't want to admit that I'm disappointed with God, right? Like, the Lord is good and does only good and, and blessing, and I don't want to make God mad at me. 
for telling him how I really feel. And that's what I feel like we needed to wrestle with today. Because guess what, guys? Even if we don't tell God how we really feel, he already knows. He knows what's going through our hearts. And David's okay with that. How long will you forget me forever? Now, he knows, obviously, God's not forgetting him, but he's just got to get this off his chest. God, what is going on? This is not what I expected. This is not what I was promised. Is it too early? What was it, 20? It was January of 2021 when people said, is it too late for me to cancel my trial for 2021? I'm not... uh, I'm not happy with my trial because they like stormed the Capitol and everyone was like, oh, it's going crazy because 2021 was tough. So we thought 2021 would be even better. 2021 brings its own problems. So we have here a very honest man talking to a very real God. I want you to remember this. If you're taking notes, uh, I didn't put it on like the little note thing here, but I want you to remember this and I'll go back to the camera. What we feel doesn't change what we believe. I'll share that with you again. What we feel doesn't change what we believe. Because God wants all of us. And that's going to be our ups. That's going to be our downs. The times that we are upset. The times that we're angry. The times that we're scared. We ain't got to put on for God. You know what I mean? Like when we go to school, you got to check your fit. You got to make sure your makeup's right. You got to make sure everything is popping. Then you can go. Unless you're out of practice and you're like, I just got out of practice. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? That's it. I've got kids who come in the morning like full face and everything, but then I see them after athletics in the afternoon and they're like, hey, you got spray because I stink. It is what it is. It's thankfully nine years almost in education. I have spray and I have wipes and I've got bobby pins and chongles and band-aids and everything the kids need. But God listens to David's feelings. Because what we feel doesn't change what we believe. And I had a a friendship where I really invested. And when we were honest with each other, when we talked to each other, we felt comfortable sharing and saying, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. But then we would always come back to, what do you believe? And I remember, I think it was the movie Inception with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt directed by Christopher Nolan, the guy who made the Batman trilogy. It's this really heady movie about dreams and a dream within a dream and reality. And so there's this woman in his dreams. She's not, she's not alive anymore, but he's carrying her around in his head. And he's like, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And she, like, she presses him on this. She says, you keep telling me what you know, but what do you believe? And by the end of the movie, he has to decide, am I going to continue to carry this around with me Or am I going to let it go? And that plays directly into what David is going through here because we'll look at the scripture again. He says, must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long, how long, how long, how long? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. And God is completely 100% okay with us telling him how we feel. Because how we feel is natural, it's normal, it's human. The fact that I believe that God is my healer, if I stub my toe, I'm not going to say, oh, that didn't hurt because God is good. No, stubbing my toe doesn't change that God is good. Being full of sorrow doesn't change that God is good. God is not swayed. God is not changed by our circumstances. A lot of people who don't know God very well, they say, well, look what happened to me in my life. 
God let it happen. This is God's fault. But that's not where David ends up. We see in verse 5 a complete tone shift here. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices. That's an interesting juxtaposition here because in verse 2 he says, I have sorrow in my heart. And that's a concept that is completely foreign to many of us. How can we be sorry and rejoice? How can we have sorrow and joy? It seems like those two feelings are opposite, which they are, right? You stub your toe, you're not going to say, hallelujah. I mean, I, I hope you wouldn't say anything else. You know what I mean? Like, oh, praise the Lord. Praise him. So he says this in verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. See, always remember that feelings are fine, but they cannot change what we believe. We can feel angry. We can feel upset. We can feel sorrow and pain, but we can still choose to believe that God is good. We can still rejoice. We can still remember. And I want to start off with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, and it says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. And I was thinking about this as I was meditating and putting this sermon together. What are our five physical senses? Now, we know that sight is one of them, but what are the other four? Touch, hear, see. Well, we said sight. Smell and taste, right? I have been recently taking all of my coffee black, and it's strong, right? Uh, I'll drink my coffee the way I intake the Word of God, straight from the source. And hot. I'm not an iced coffee person. I could just never get into that. I like the blended stuff. I know Serenity sometimes brings the McCafe. Yeah. Well, I didn't start drinking coffee until college, so you've got time, guys. Don't don't rush it. Okay. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. It, it's kind of grows on you. So Second Corinthians five seven says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And when I read that, I thought. This is one of our five physical senses. We walk by faith and not sight, walk by faith and not hearing, walk by faith and not smell, walk by faith and not touch, walk by faith and not taste. And when we talk about how we're feeling, God is totally okay with us acknowledging that. We have gone through things and we say, you know what, today I am sad. You know what, today I am mad. And it may seem an uncomfortable concept for especially kids who like to please people or what we would call your typical church kid who's got to have it all together and you got to have the good grades and you got to know the scriptures and you got to know which feast it is and you got to know the Ten Commandments and and we grow up in such a performance-based culture that it's very common for us to have good appearances. I don't want to waste anybody's time with what is going on in my life. You know, I'm the I'm the older sibling or I'm the good church kid or I'm this or that and I've got to have it together. What, it, it was inside out when Riley finally breaks down in front of her parents and she says, I can't be your happy little girl. Have you guys seen that movie? Because she's had it all together, but they moved to a new place and all these memories. It's the one where they have like the emotions inside her brain and they go in there. It's a Pixar movie. Yeah. And so she says that. She goes, I can't be your happy little girl. And that was the first time that she really felt comfortable sharing those emotions with her parents. So I want to remind you, as we're moving forward, we're about to get into death, relationships, and sin. 
that feelings are 100% normal and they are 100% okay, but you cannot allow your feelings to change what you believe. David did not. And as we go through these next three areas that we're going to focus on, I'm going to give you scripture, I'm going to give you encouragement, I'm going to give you something to hold on to when you feel like you are dangling over the edge. Because that's part of the human experience. We can't just preach the word of God and not talk about how it ministers to people who grieve. So as we go through these, I want you to hang on to this truth. No matter how long it takes, we will end in victory. We see Psalms 13, 5 and 6. He's going through it. He's feeling it. He's wrestling with it. He's telling God about it, but he ends in victory. So let's talk about death. We enjoy life together. Whenever someone passes away, our lives are not the same because all of the pieces and parts of our lives have shifted. They've changed. We celebrate baby showers. We celebrate cousins and nieces and nephews and all of that wonderful thing. But it does hurt us when somebody that we love passes away. See, death is a natural part of life because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Death did not exist for us before Adam sinned. Romans 5.8 says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, because Romans also tells us that the wages of sin is death. So we're going to do a little participation, a little poll. You guys watching online, follow along. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Okay, it's unanimous. All right, so guess what, guys? Unfortunately, that means we're all going to die. Now, we're not like Chicken Little running around screaming like, we're all going to die. You know, it's, it's the end of days, which it'll be here soon, probably faster than we anticipate. But our bodies were designed to live forever. But unfortunately, pollution and corruption and, and the foods that we eat and everything, we're slowly but surely breaking down. And we will eventually run out of gas and our spirit and soul will leave this vehicle and go thumbing it one of two ways either heading up or heading down. That's just a fact of life. Now, we miss and we grieve because we remember, and those people were a part of our lives. If you've had grandparents or great-grandparents or siblings or, or whoever that you know, cousins, pass on, yes, we eventually we make peace and we continue on with our lives, but grieving that loss is normal and it's natural. Thankfully, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18 says that we can grieve with hope. And that's an interesting comparison of those two things. I'm going to pull it up because I want to read those directly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read 13, 14, 15, 16, and 18. So, chapter... Oops, I'm in chapter 3. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's a little uh, easier to understand. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Notice he doesn't say, so you will not grieve, period. We will grieve. We will miss them. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope, verse 14 for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I don't know if you guys have read this far into the New Testament, but when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, there were over 500 people 
who are recorded in history as saying saints were raised from the dead. Like people who died before Jesus, they were walking around after he resurrected because that's how powerful his resurrection was. It literally raised the dead to show people, hey, when Jesus said he's going to raise the dead, look, he already did it. It works. That's wild. That's like some Marvel timeline universe stuff. Like, oh, this person came back. How'd you do that? So verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Pastor Rosie was just talking about this. This is where they reference the rapture of the church. That if you're alive when Jesus comes back, you're not going to be buried. You're going to be caught up. Some people will joke. They say, oh, I need to lose some weight so I won't need two angels to carry me instead of one. For the Lord himself will come down with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Verse 17, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. See, Paul is telling us, I know it hurts. I know that when someone is gone, you, you miss that part of your life, you know, that's something that you wish that you could continue. And for some of us, we have that loss like, man, I wish I could have had more time or I wish I could have said something. I wish I could have, I wish I could have. But the Lord redeems that saying, hey, we have hope. The Bible also describes death as the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. There's a video, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a video game that I've played. And one of the final missions in the game is when the protagonist is about to die. Because he's a cowboy, but he was also a member of a gang. So he's wanted, and the police, it's a very complicated story. But the chapter which he dies, it says the last enemy to be destroyed. Because death is coming. So unfortunately... Death is still around. Now, I want you to remember this. Death has been defeated, but it still exists. Death has been defeated, but it still exists. If you watch the celebrity boxing match, I don't know if we can call it boxing, between that one celebrity guy and that former mixed martial artist, one of them lost. But guess what? He's still around. He's still alive. So death has been defeated. Jesus conquered death when he rose from the grave because now... We will die, but we don't have to go to hell. We can be resurrected in Christ. But unfortunately, we still have to pass through death. That's why Paul says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, I think he says, one translation says Hades, one translation says hell. Where is your victory? Because we're still going to have to deal with death, but we don't have that sting of being separated from Jesus. That's all before Christ came and redeemed us, we were going to die and we all deserved to go to hell. There was no hope for us. But now Paul says, hey, we will pass away, but we can be hopeful. And it's okay to feel sad when you look back. I remember, thankfully, my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, she actually used to live here in Port Lavaca. And so as her health began to deteriorate, we kind of prepared ourselves for what we knew eventually what was coming and she finished her life out in the nursing home and i remember i think it was april second or third 
the year that she passed away, we had just finished church, and so we were going to visit her in the nursing home. So I went by Sonic, and I grabbed some French toast sticks, because she loved Sonic, and I got her some flowers, I think from the H-E-B. So I took her flowers, and I took her French toast sticks, and we talked, and she gradually kind of was losing her memory, so during conversations, sometimes she would circle back around and ask some of the same questions, and we kind of knew this was coming, but I always made sure before I left, I'd say, Grandma, and she'd say, yes, mijo, and I would tell her, i said, I love you very much, and she would always tell me before we left, I love you too, mijo. And so the last conversation that we had, I gave her her favorite snack, I gave her some flowers, I gave her a good hug, and the last thing that I told her was, I love you very much. And a few days later, she went on to be with the Lord. So we attended the funeral, and I was a pallbearer, and we cried because we missed her, and, and in our hearts, you know, we still, every time something said, somebody said something, right, it's always those little things, like, oh, Grandma used to say that, or oh, this was Grandma's favorite meal, or Grandma's favorite restaurant. And so we carry those memories, right? Now, theologically, uh, I don't want to steer you the wrong way and tell you that, you know, now heaven has gained an angel, because we're not angels, we're people. And some people, they, they kind of uh, have somewhat of a misunderstanding to comfort themselves, but we don't need misunderstandings because we have Jesus to comfort us. So, yes, I know that she's in heaven. Um, I don't pray to my grandma or I don't feel like she's with me. Some people will say, like, oh, I know they're with me or they're an angel now. I know what the Bible says, but I know also that she is rejoicing with Jesus that she doesn't have bad knees anymore. She doesn't have bad eyes anymore. She doesn't have diabetes anymore. She's not losing her mind anymore. She is wholly and completely restored. And that's what we also have to look forward to. Now, unfortunately, some of our loved ones pass away and maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And that's a little bit different grief because I've officiated several funerals in my lifetime and and you can tell the families that have hope. It's a different atmosphere. Because yes, they, they mourn the loss and they say this person's gone, but we'll see them again. If they know that they're not in right relationship with Christ and their loved one's gone on to be with the Lord, then it's a more bitter pain because they think this may be the last that I ever got to see them. Especially if that relationship with Christ caused friction and they said, no, I'm not going to receive Jesus. And no, I don't want to hear about your God and know this and know that. And then they're faced with this eternal reality. Man, if I don't receive Christ, I'm not going to see him again. So grief through death looks different for a lot of people, but it is natural. And it takes time. Some people, they, they recover rather quickly and they say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to memories. I'm going to move forward. Some people, it takes years. There's no... You know, whenever, uh, if any of you have ever torn something, the trainer says, okay, well, this is an average recovery time of six to nine months, I think, for an ACL, right? Or uh, a torn Achilles, that's a whole year that you have to work yourself back. A torn shoulder, I think, was like, what did Maddie do, like six weeks? And then she was back at it. When I tore the ligaments in my ankle, six weeks, and then I could play basketball again, I was pff, mad out of shape, but I could play. <laughs> but there's no prescription for how long it takes you to go through grief. But notice that we do have an end goal of victory. Now, victory doesn't mean we're not sad when we think of this person. 
Victory doesn't mean that we just kind of forget them and move on and never think of them again. Victory means that that grief doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Because remember, we said no matter how long it takes, we will end in victory. David was about it in that cave with God. And he said, God, this is how I feel. I'm mad. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. I'm sorrowful in my heart. But I know I'm going to make it out of here. I know that you're going to have my back. We can look back and feel sad. That is 100% okay. But we also need to remember to look forward to victory. The second thing I want to talk to you guys about today is grieving relationships. Now, at your age, obviously, nobody in this room is married. Just making sure nobody snuck in. So nobody in this room is married. And so we all have this natural longing to want someone to share life with. Hopes, dreams, fun jokes, tough times, exciting adventures. The Lord has carefully designed each and every one of us with a need for community. And we know that we are designed also for the covenant of marriage. Now, there are a few people who either they have decided to sacrifice that to the Lord and say, I'm going to surrender that to you, and I'm only going to work for you and your ministry. And those are some very strong people, because I don't know that I could do that. And then there are some other people who, whether because of things that have happened to them or even things in their body, they say, you know what, I'm just not, I'm not interested. So the Lord designs the majority of humanity with a longing and a need and a desire for a loving, committed, covenant relationship. But many of us experience some bumps in the road. God knows how much it hurts when a relationship fails. He created Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He loved them. And they only had one thing, right? If you've ever heard someone say, you had one job. (laughs) Well, Adam and Eve, they had one job. And they messed it up. And they, I guess you could say, technically cheated on God with uh, Satan because they're like, oh, let me get a little side piece over here at this tree of knowledge and good and evil. But he knows exactly what it's like to have his heart broken. The Bible even describes Jesus as weeping over people who would not enter into right relationship with him. And I'm going to give you some scriptures that I want you to hang on to that you can remember moving forward because chances are, statistically, we're going to experience some heartbreak. Some of us are going through it right now. Well, in Psalms, chapter 34 and verse 18, we have a promise. And remember, David is the one who wrote the Psalms. Psalms 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I'm going to go ahead and put that one up here. Psalms 34 and verse 18. And we'll show the listening audience here. Psalms 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I love that image because it doesn't say that he saves us from being brokenhearted. It's a shallow theology that thinks, well, if I get saved, I'm going to live happily ever after. No one's ever going to do me wrong. Everything's going to work out for me. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, we'll all look at the camera and the theme music will play and we'll go to commercial. But life's not a Disney movie. Life's not a sitcom. Life is real and it's raw and it can be very messy. And some of you have shared with me even 
things that you've gone through, and we've even prayed through different things in your lives where uh, when you split from someone, they don't just leave it alone. They, they drag it out or they say false things against you or it was a relationship that you thought, man, this is going to last forever, and it didn't, and you're like, oh, my gosh, well, what happens now? And, and I've given this person so much of myself and then these things, and we've shared and told this person, and, and it feels like a piece of my heart is just missing because I've given it away, and it would be very easy and many times this is the message that we get from the world around us, it'd be very easy to act like it didn't matter. Like, oh, well, no, no big deal. I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on to the next one. Or I don't need nobody. Or it didn't mean anything to me. But a revelation that the Lord's been dealing with me lately is this. If you cheapen the heartbreak, you lessen the healing. Because David is bringing his broken heart and his sorrow and his fear and his anger, he's bringing it to God, saying, this is where I'm at right now, God. And I'm going to trust that you can help me through this. But because we fear pain and nobody likes to experience these things, sometimes we say, well, it didn't matter to me. Well, that person, you know what? That person wasn't important after all. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I didn't need them. I'm fine. But when we do that, here's what we're telling God. You know what, God? I actually don't need you to heal me. You know what, God? I can handle this on my own. I actually don't need your assistance, and I'm, I'm okay. I can handle this myself. Now, the biblical model that we're looking at here is David telling us we need to admit to God that we're broken. Jesus even said when people were talking to him like, hey, Jesus, how come you don't hang out with these cool people over here? How come you don't hang out with all these church leaders over here? Why are you always going to these sinners? And he said the Son of Man didn't come to heal the well, but to heal the sick. He says he came to seek and save the lost. So whenever we are crushed in spirit, that's such a graphic image. Sometimes on Snapchat I'll watch this channel where they like smush things with a hydraulic press. I don't know if you've ever seen that story. And they'll smush like candy and then they'll shoot out the side or they'll smush and it'll just shatter and fracture. That's exactly how it feels when we have taken time days, months, weeks, years to build something with someone and then it breaks and it's gone. And we feel, man, that hurts me. I'm crushed in spirit. Well, the Lord is right there. And it would be very easy, although very childish, to say, God, why didn't you stop this from happening if you were there? Because we have free will. If we choose to enter a relationship and we trust that God is leading us and guiding us, then it's going to work out the way that he intends it to work out. But if we choose to say, I'm going to try and make this work, and, and this person, you know, and myself, and, and I think this is it, and I, I, I can make it work, and then it doesn't work, we can't blame God. We can't say, God, this is your fault, that you didn't back me up. He knows exactly what his plan is for each and every one of us. And he knows that when we mess up and someone, if we ourselves do the heartbreak or someone does it to us, he's right there with us. I follow a missionary on Facebook, and she used to be in a certain country. Some incredibly horrific things happened in that country, and, and she moved to a different country to continue missionary work. And, and she was reading some scripture, and she put this out there for all of her Facebook followers to see. So it was very, very raw, very vulnerable moment for her. But she says, I was reading the scripture that says the Lord is with us, and I asked him in prayer, where were you when that happened to me? 
And she said God responded to her, and he said, I was with you. And it's crazy to think because we think, well, well, you should have stopped it. You should have fixed it. You should have made everything okay because, because I want you to be my Santa Claus. I want you to be my godly grandpa. I want you to give me everything I want. I want you to spare me from pain. But sometimes we have to go through pain because of the world we live in. Christ was in the garden sweating blood because he knew what was about to happen to his body. And he said, man, God, my body, my flesh does not feel like doing this, but not my will your will be done. Jesus himself, the son of God, knew he was about to go through some pain because he lived on this earth. He was about to go through some pain for us. Jesus went through pain for us and God goes through pain with us. And that blew my mind when that missionary posted that because I'm thinking, how many times do we assume that in our pain, God is not there? And we think, well, you know what? I'm hurting so much, there's no possible way that a good God would be here with me. I've done so much wrong and brought this upon myself. I'm just going to sit in timeout by myself. God doesn't believe in timeout. He is with us for all eternity. Our theme scripture for the youth group, before you were born, I anointed you, appointed you a prophet to the nations. Don't say I'm too young. And it's hard because... We think if I'm in pain, something must be wrong. And if something must be wrong, then I must not be right with God. But David shows us in Psalms 13, God is with us in our pain. He doesn't leave us alone to figure this out by ourselves. It is good grief. I've got another one for you, and I'll I'll post this up here for the listeners as well. Psalms 147. And I really want to encourage you guys, if you have the Bible app, put an image, put this somewhere, print it out, put it on a sticky note, put it on your phone wallpaper. 147 verse 3, David writes this again. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He didn't prevent those wounds because, again, we have free will. We decide if we're going to choose to spend time with this person. We decide if, man, you know, I'm not sure about this, but I'm going to move ahead anyway. And then we come to a point where we say, it did not work, God, this relationship, this friendship. I thought it was going to last forever. And all I got out of it was pain. Well, the first thing we need to recognize is that we don't just get pain out of any relationship. Every relationship will teach you something. Whether it was a bad relationship where you learn what to avoid, whether it was a good relationship where you learn, man, this person helped me discover things about myself. This person helped me discover things about God. This person helped me to learn and to grow. And yes, again, it is okay to look back on something and be sad. But Psalms 13, 5, and 6 teach us we can look forward to victory. Even if we're the ones who messed up. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, Psalms 147 and verse 3. Because the Lord is near us, even in our pain. And he doesn't just leave us in our pain. This shows us in Psalms 147. He is binding our wounds. Now, that's not something that happens right away. We've all had nicks and cuts and fractured pinkies and shoulder injuries and I've dealt with several of my scars and sermons from the past. And when your skin is broken... It bleeds. We can't just say, no, no, stop bleeding. Stop. No, I I recognize my mistake, so I don't want to deal with the consequences anymore. 
I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to bleed anymore, God. I've repented. I, I've, I've cleansed my heart. Let's move on. That's not how the body was created. That's not how the heart was created. When we are injured, guys, we bleed. It hurts. And many times afterwards, if you touch that injury and it's not done healing yet, it still hurts. That doesn't mean that it's not healing. It just means it's not ready to bear that pressure. When I tore the ligaments in my ankle, my doctor said, hey, you can come back and play basketball, but you still need a brace. You still need some protection. You still need to ice it. You still need to isolate yourself and focus on what needs to be healed. And the same goes for our hearts. We can't just run from one relationship to the next and say, okay, this person hurt me, but I'm going to go put a Band-Aid on and then jump back in the game. No, we need time to bleed. We need time to heal. We need time, first of all, to be near the Lord. He's near us. We can't trust someone else to heal us. Please hear me, those of you watching and those of you here. A relationship will not heal you, especially if you were hurt from a relationship. Because if someone cuts you in the first place, you can't go to someone else and say, hey, can you fix this cut? They weren't the ones who cut you. And then we bring these expectations in and we say, well, my last relationship, we didn't do that. Or I don't like my last relationship, this. Oh, my last relationship. And you're shortchanging that next person because you're not done healing from the last. Please make sure that we have good grief. It is okay to look back and be sad but we can look forward in victory. And I want to share this with you. This is for my older youth, maybe if some young adults are watching this, or even adults too. The word is the word and it needs to be heard. Marriage is not going to fix us. When it comes to the heartbreak of relationships, we think, okay, well, I'm just uh, going all rascal flats and God bless the broken road and led me straight to you. Marriage is not salvation. Marriage is not restoration. Marriage is not healing. Marriage is a covenant. That's going to be tough. And if we don't fix everything in our hearts before entering that marriage covenant, then guess what? We're dragging somebody else in there. Marriage is meant to be a covenant with two people. And if we keep bringing in, I have insecurities because of my last relationship. I'm comparing you to my last relationship. I'm afraid and I don't trust you because of my last relationship. Then we're bringing that infection into the covenant that is forming between two people. So those of you watching and, and you say, yeah, Brother Jonathan, I was brokenhearted, but now this person brings me joy, and now this person helps me heal, and now this person, this person, this person, the only person who has the power to mend our broken hearts is Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus, and he's quoting Isaiah also. He found the place where it's written. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to deliver the captives. And before we transition into our final point, I want to encourage you. Sometimes in grief over death, we do not let go and we become captive to our grief. Many more times in grief of lost relationships, we do not let go and we become captive to those relationships. I can't stop thinking about them. I can't stop checking on their social media. I can't stop talking about them. I can't stop thinking about what could have been, what if, what if, what if. And we're captive. And that 
is not good grief. It is perfectly normal to mourn a lost relationship. It is encouraged. It's natural. It's processing that brings us closer to God. If we don't recognize we're brokenhearted, then how do we recognize that the Lord is near? Because if not, then we say, well, I didn't need that person. Well, that didn't hurt me. If you cheapen the heartbreak, you lessen the healing. When it comes to salvation, we have to admit that we're sinners before we can accept Jesus. Our faith is not weak, cheesy, simply VeggieTales level, right? That's great for the kids, and Jesus loves you, and I thank God for this day, for the sun and the sky, for my mom and my dad and my piece of apple pie. And it's good to have those foundations, but guys, this is youth class. And in four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, you could be married. Or you could have your heart broken. Or you could experience things and you say, man, now that I've experienced this, I'm never going to be the same. There's no going back from this. What has happened to me or what I have done has changed me. Like Riley said in the movie, I can't be your happy little girl. Well, guess what? God never wanted us to be his happy little girl. God never expected us to make it through life sinless and perfect. I'm never going to disappoint anybody. I'm never going to mess up. And, and God loves me more because I sin less. That's not how it works. For many of us at our age group, we haven't had a lot of practice dealing with grief. And maybe as we move into the third point here today, the Lord is dealing with you, dealing with us, dealing with me. How do we process this grief? The third point I want to talk to you about is very serious, and it is grief over sin. And this is not just somebody else's sin, right? Because a lot of people in church are real good about that. Oh, this message, that's for brother so-and-so. Oh, that message, he talk about what's his face. But we are going to talk about grief over our sin. And I want to direct your attention to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to pull it up here. Romans chapter 7. If you've got it in your Bible app, you can follow along. Romans chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 14. I'll put it up here for the audience to see. Romans 7. Romans 7, 14. And we're going to finish out the chapter. Uh, it's a great, great reference here. Because Paul... St. Paul, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Brick Wall, who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament, right? I mean, this guy, miracles, signs, wonders, building the church. I mean, when we do leadership stuff with pastor, he's always going back, and this is how the church should run, and this is how the Lord designed the church. The subtitle for what we're about to read is called Struggling with Sin. Verse 14. So the trouble's not with the law, for it's spiritual. And good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when, when I want to do what is right, 
I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Verse 24. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Again, we look forward to victory. Verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Thankfully, we are not going to stop there because Paul is talking about, man, you know, I don't want to do this. And here I am doing all of these things that I know I shouldn't be doing. How am I going to stop this? Who's going to fix this? Who's going to help me? Well, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this. I'm just going to go to the next chapter. Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Verse 2 says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Nobody could keep the law. They had the covenants and the testaments, and you had to bring the goat, and you had to bring the turtle doves, and you had to do this, and you had to wash this many times. It was all ritual because we could not get rid of our sin. We could cover it up. Like you come back from practice, especially my freshmen, and they didn't take a shower, but they grabbed that can of Axe. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that'll work for a little bit, but after a while, brother, we know, oof, you sinful, like straight up. And that's how we approach sin. Everything that we try and do is just cover up. But when Christ came, his blood cleanses us. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. He was the sacrificial lamb. His blood lasts more than the goats and the rams and the doves and the bulls and all that other stuff they had to do. Jesus paid it all. That's why we sing that song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. So here's the thing. Paul says, I feel convicted of this sin. Because we all sin. We all raised our hands. Y'all guilty. 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 You in the back? Guilty. You watching online? Guilty. Double guilty. Because you weren't here to watch it live. But we are convicted. Now, do any of you guys watch any of those police shows? Like Law & Order, SVU, CSI, NCIS, cop, cops. We were watching, it was one of those like, off stations, not the main station, but one of those off stations, and it was like Beach Patrol, and they were showing all these crazy things that happened on the beach, and they found this guy, and then he was like drowning, and so the lifeguards went out there and saved him. Not like Baywatch, like the actual cop stuff. And this other guy was like drunk, and they're like, you need to leave the beach, sir. And he's like, Ooh. So we know all these cop shows. And when someone's guilty of something, if they go to court, we say that they got a conviction, right? Like, you are guilty. You have been convicted of this. That means they did it. I'm guilty. Then, after the trial, comes sentencing, okay? I want you to remember this. This is basic theological stuff that you're going to deal with as adults because people are going to say, like, oh, once saved, always saved, and I can do whatever I want, and I'll go sleep around, I'll go drink it up, I'll go shoot somebody, but Jesus loved me, right? Conviction means I am guilty. I feel bad condemnation is sentencing and that is hopelessness okay condemnation 
Now, Pastor Rosie shared this story before, and it's super heavy, so I don't use it lightly. But her father was doing a tent revival, and he was praying for people, and miracles were happening. And this guy, he was like, him and Jesus were tight. And he's praying over people, and things were happening, and miracles. And then some guy who didn't know Jesus, he screams out, trying to interrupt the tent revival. I'm not going to say what he said, because he was like cursing. But he's like, you and your Holy Spirit. And because it was such a powerful move of God, Pastor Rosie's dad said, you're done. You're done. And that guy, not only was he convicted, because he's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? But he was not a Christian, and he had no hope. And he was condemned. And the next day, he died of a heart attack. Because everyone was talking to him like, hey, man, you seem different. You seem off. What's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, there's no hope for me. Because he didn't accept that invitation. He chose, I'm going to throw in my lot with this group here. I'm going to curse God. And because everything that was happening and people's faith and the miracles that were going on, there was no room for that. Like, hey, you don't play with the Holy Spirit. See what I'm saying? And she doesn't share that lightly either. That's like a, hey, you, when the Spirit is moving, you respect it. Now's not the time for your phone. Now's not the time for you to be laughing in the back of the church because people need miracles. People need signs, wonders. There's people who need healing from cancer. There's people who need deliverance from addiction. Like, we ain't got time to play. But here's the difference between conviction and condemnation. We should be convicted. The Holy Spirit should not give us peace. And we should feel like, man, this was so wrong. I can't believe that happened. I, I have no peace. I am convicted. Well, what happens when you're convicted? You have to appeal. Because if we have Christ, then he took our sentence on himself on the cross. We just talked about that. He was so nervous, like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die for the sin of the entire world. Sweating blood. That's an actual physical condition that happens when you're under so much stress that the capillaries beneath your skin burst because you're under so much pressure and it leaks out of your pores. Unfortunately, the effect of that is that your skin is super tender to the touch. And so he did that right before he got whipped and flogged and nailed to the cross. So it hurt extra bad when Jesus was crucified. And so when we do something wrong, we know I should feel bad. The Holy Spirit should tell me, hey, this is not right. What you doing? Stop acting foolish. But then we have to surrender that to Christ and say, you know what? I'm going to get it right. I'm going to confess my sin. The Bible says confess to one another and be healed. That doesn't mean we have to go sit in a box and say, Pastor Ruben, forgive me for I've sinned. It means we can go straight to God. If we hurt each other, we can go to each other. If something's going on that people need to know about, we can tell them. And then we can be healed. And then we can say, Jesus, I need you to restore me. That's why it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because he took our condemnation. God poured all his wrath out on Jesus at the cross. And so, yes, we should feel bad and we should feel convicted, but we can't continue to whip ourselves. There were actually in the Middle Ages, like the Dark Ages, they call them, certain priests who thought it was holy that they would whip themselves and say, I need to punish myself. And we don't do that now physically, but there are a lot of people spiritually who do that. And they say, well, you know, I did this wrong. 
So I'm going to punish myself, and, and I, I'm going to you know, withhold this from myself. Or I, I did this wrong, so I, I'm gonna, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do that. Well, we weren't saved by works, and our sin is not going to be dissolved because of anything that we do. Some people make deals or promises with God. I'll crawl on my knees to this altar, or I'll give you this, or I'll give up that. The Bible says there is no condemnation. So when we feel the Holy Spirit telling us you shouldn't have done that, we need to give it up, but we also need to allow God to heal us. Because again, we've been talking about not letting grief capture you. If you have sinned and you have gotten it right, you can still feel sad about that sin, but you shouldn't let anyone make you feel bad about that sin. And I'll say it one more time for those of you watching online. If you have sinned and you have gotten it right, that's a prerequisite here. It is okay to still feel sad about that sin. Man, I can't believe I did this. Man, I'm looking back and, and I hurt someone. Or man, I gave up something that I shouldn't have. Or man, I, I can't believe I told that person this. Or man, I, I can't believe it's okay to look back and be sad, but don't let anyone make you feel bad. Don't let anyone have power over you and say, oh, well, pfft, what do you know about Jesus? Look what you did. Look at your past. Who do you think you are telling me I need to repent? Because look what you did. Nothing wrong with feeling sad. Do not let anyone make you feel bad. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away. Notice it says old things are passed away. It doesn't say that you can go back and do it again and again and again and again. If we are in Christ, we should be made new. And people running around talking lies on Jesus' name, saying, I can do this because Jesus will forgive me. That's not even someone who's in a right relationship with God. You can't just use Jesus as a get-out-of-jail card. Paul specifically says in the New Testament, because grace is so great, should I go and sin more so there will be more grace? And he says, absolutely not. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Literally, in the Lord's Prayer, any Catholic will tell you this. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So all these people who are running around with temptation saying, oh, it's okay, God loves me. It's, oh, it's okay, God forgives me. No, they're not being led of the Spirit. And if you feel bad for something that has happened to you or something that you yourself have done, it is okay to be sad about it. Don't let it control you. Don't let it drag you down into clinical depression. But don't let anyone hold it over you. Don't let them make you feel bad because there's no condemnation if you're in Christ, if you're new, if you're forgiven, if you're redeemed. You're not that person anymore. And you say, well, I, I don't know if I can trust myself in a relationship because I broke somebody's heart. I don't know if you know I can uh, be trusted in ministry because I, I lied about brother so-and-so. I don't know if I can do this because I did this. If you have given it to Christ and he has taken it away and you are new, you're not that person anymore. And we can't let grief over our sin hold us back. Now, every time we sin, we should grieve. It should feel bad. Oh, man, I did it again. I can't believe I need help. I need prayer. I need Jesus. If you don't feel bad anymore whenever you sin, that's a really big red flag. And we really need to talk, and we really need to pray over you, and we really need to search the Scripture and say, God, Help turn around my heart before it's too late, before I get so calloused and so hardened that I just don't care anymore. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what happens to others. I'm just going to do whatever I want until it's time for me to die. 
Because that's where that road ends up. Unfortunately, we've seen many people like that in our own lives. I don't care what this behavior does to others. I feel good for that small amount of time, so I'm going to keep doing it. And the next thing you know, it affects someone else. Next thing you know, it changes someone else's life. We see this with families destroyed by chemical addictions. We see this with marriages destroyed by physical addictions. We see this with ministries destroyed by uh, people in power or positions who couldn't handle money correctly or govern their bodies correctly or anything like that. The enemy comes only for three reasons, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we understand that grief is a natural part of life. Grief teaches us a lesson, whether through death, the relationships, or from our own sin. It can remind us of something wonderful when we think back to the people that we love that aren't with us anymore. It can also remind us, hey, we need to stay the course because the last time I let these thoughts linger, the last time that I let these behaviors continue, I remember that it hurt me. It hurt somebody. It hurt those that I loved. It damaged not only the people around you or the people that you love, but it hurts you. The Bible is very clear that whenever we sin, we sin against God. And it also says that if it's a sexual sin, that we sin against our own bodies. That's a different category. Now, I'm not saying that some sins are worse than others because that's not what the Bible says. But it says, hey, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you need to preserve that for God. Grief can remind us what we've learned, and it can help us to grow. Just like any physical scar that we have. We look back and we say, I remember when that hurt me, but I'm not going to let it hurt me anymore. I'll let it help me to be more careful. I wear my gloves now when I work outside because I have hurt myself. I've shared that story with you guys many times. Because I didn't protect myself, because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, because I was even warned by the Holy Spirit, hey, you need to put your gloves on. <sighs> nah, I'm 21 years old. I'm going to live forever. I'm strong. Look at me. I'm fit. And all it took was one pointy little piece of wire to slice my hand open to show me, wow, I'm actually very vulnerable. Here I was thinking I could handle it, I could mess around. Oh, no, I can back off whenever I want. And that's how the, the enemy comes to us is by saying, just like he did to Eve thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, has God said, surely you won't die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we've been very clear about physical death and what that looks like. But many times sin can lead to a death of relationship. Many times sin can lead to, unfortunately, the death of a dream. Sin can lead to, I mean, if we're going to be real, this is a youth class, the death of innocence. And we say, man, there's no coming back from that. Now that this has happened to me, now that I have done this or something was done to me, I will never be the same again. And that's what happens when we live in a fallen world. I love this uh, lyric from one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot. And they say, this old skin is a rental, and no one makes it out alive. Someone someday, eventually, will grieve for us. And throughout our lives, we and those that we hurt will grieve sin. And chances are, you'll end up in a relationship that doesn't work out, and you'll grieve that too. 
But I'm going to go back to our source scripture here. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Those of you watching and those of you here, we have all gone through it at one point in time. Whether through a death, whether through a relationship, whether through sin. And it is okay to feel sad. It is okay to feel mad. It is okay to feel disgusted and disappointed and angry and furious and, and hatred and all these things swirling around. You don't have to hide that from God. And if you ask me for prayer and we're doing a counseling thing, you don't have to hide that from me either. You don't have to hide it from your parents. You don't have to hide it from your pastors. It is normal for us to feel human because that's what we are, guys. We're humans, humans that are going to pass away, humans that want to love another human, humans that sin because of our sinful human nature. But don't let the enemy trap you in grief. Don't let Satan lock you up and say, this is over. This person is gone. You're never going to see them again. If they are a believer in Christ, we will see them again. And if they weren't, we have to look forward in victory and say, I will see others again. I will, the Lord will wipe away every tear from my eyes. We will rejoice in his presence in eternity. Because this life that we live, it's pretty messed up. And we see people on social media and their lives look amazing, but we don't know how many hours they spent editing. I actually probably know how many hours they spent editing because it takes a lot to make video. But we don't know what surgeries they've had. We don't know how long they're in the gym. We don't know when they want to eat a pizza, but they have to drink a shake because they don't want their tummy to jiggle on their Snapchat. Right? People are literally killing themselves to be perfect. And yet here we are living normal lives, and we're like, why can't my life be perfect? Because life's not perfect. We will grieve at one time or another in our lives, multiple times, whether from death, whether from heartbreak, whether from sin. You may finish watching this video and then get in a fight with one of your family members and just let fly out your mouth and be like, oh, man, I did it again. But we can look forward to victory. And I want to pray with you guys. I want to pray with you all here live also. But I want to pray over you watching as well. Those of you listening later on. It's a very heavy, heavy revelation that I wanted to give to you guys. And I tried to make light of it, you know, talking about Charlie Brown and Lucy moving the football and his little misadventures. But when it comes to real life, real life is hard. And none of us are perfect and we feel that weight of expectation. Well, I'm a good kid. I'm a church kid. I'm so-and-so's nephew or niece or, or grandparents, and I can't let them down. I can't let God down. We will, and it's going to hurt. And we're going to feel all these swirling emotions, but just like David, we can bring them to God because he's not surprised. He's not giving up on you because you disappoint him. He knew this was going to happen. 
He knew that you were going to think of this person and miss them horribly and terribly. He knew that you were going to think of that person and be embarrassed and ashamed. He knew that you were going to fight with that person and feel bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And sometimes in our grief, we turn to anger and we say, well, I'm not going to feel good unless they feel bad. If we allow grief to lock us up, then it's going to lead to fruit, the works of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit. Grief is not something born out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Grief leads to things like, I'm going to hurt you so that you can feel how I felt when you hurt me. I was listening to a song this week, because sometimes, you know, we go looking for song lyrics to get us in our feels or help us through. And one of the songs says, I don't want your apology. I don't want restitution. I want to hear your wrong. I don't want resolution. I want justice, but I don't care for peace. I don't want to be bound, but I don't choose to be free. I want for you what I see inside of me. And that song, even though it's a very angry rap song, it's called There's Only Forgiveness. And that's one of the things that we see. Whether something was done to us, it can be so easy to hate that person and to want them to suffer or even if we don't get that opportunity, they're gone before I had a chance to tell them how I really felt. And we say, God, why didn't, why didn't you fix this? Why didn't I have my chance? Why didn't you do something about this? And it's okay that we bring that to God. We're not going to offend him with our honesty. We didn't offend him with our sin. He still sent Jesus to die for us. He still ransomed us on the cross. He still said, while you're still in your sin, I'm going to die for you. And if we bring him our grief... He is the only one who's going to help us through. Not sad songs, not cute little scripture pictures that people send us, not your temporary homie that you're only friends in school, but they say, oh man, you know I'm here for you if you need anything. Well, we need hope. And people cannot give us hope. We can't give ourselves hope. Well, God, I'll just be better next time. And, and God, I'll make sure this never happens again. And God, I'm so sorry. And, and please don't let everybody find out about this. And, and let's just go back to the way it was. Guys, death, relationships, and sin change our lives forever. We'll never be the same after that. And we need to make peace with the fact that that is okay. Maybe the faith that you have now is more mature and it's more embattled than the faith that you had in children's church. But if you're not real about it, if you're not raw about it, then it will fail you as an adult. People who don't know how to come to God are the people who run from God. And that's all I'm going to say because I have been teaching youth for years and they don't all stick around. And every last one of them that has run away from God is because they weren't real enough to run to God. And if they were here, I'd say it to their face. People who don't know how to run to God end up being people who run away from God. And if you are carrying grief in your heart, you need to bring that to him. You need to offer that to him. The Bible says that we exchange our righteousness for his righteousness. It's like filthy rags. It's not good enough. Anything that we try and do to overcome our grief is not good enough. Whether we try and play pretend, this didn't hurt me, it didn't matter, I don't care, that's not good enough. Whether we wallow in depression and say, I'm never going to recover from this, I'm different, I'm not as valuable anymore, people are going to see me through the lens of this decision, that's not good enough. 
And I want to pray with you today because God's been dealing with my heart as well. And he's the only one who can fix this in his timing. There is no diagnosis. There is no prescription on how long it's going to take. But you have to keep coming back to God and coming back to God and coming back to God like David said. I will trust in your unfailing love because the only thing that's going to fix grief is love. Anger isn't going to fix grief. Fear isn't going to fix grief. Hatred isn't going to fix grief. More and more and more sin until your conscience is dead is not going to fix your grief. Only God's unfailing love, his salvation, when we recognize that even if it hurts, even when we're sad, that he is still good to us. He is with us. He heals our broken hearts and he binds our wounds. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word The Word made flesh, Jesus, who came to this earth and who loved us in our sin, who died in our place on the cross, who called out to everyone that he came in contact with, come, I have what you need in this world that is broken, in this world that is sinful, in this world full of grief. Even Jesus grieved when they killed his cousin John the Baptist. He went away and he wept. He was sad. We know what it's like, Lord, to lose someone someone we loved, even someone that we never forgave. We know, Father, what it's like to lose a relationship. We know what it's like to be grieved over sin. God, you are with us through it all. You are with us in our grief. Even when we're mad at you or we're upset, why didn't you put a stop to this? Why didn't you do something? Why can't we just go back and fix everything to the way that it was before? Can't you do that if you're God? Can't you fix this mess? God, you could handle David's anger. You can handle our anger. You can handle our fear, our failures, the things that we've done, and you still love us. Even if we're mad at you, you still love us. Even if we blame you, you still love us. Even when we fail, your love is unfailing, God. Lord, today we want to be real. We want to be honest with you. Because we're not little kids. We're not playing pretend. We're not singing little Sunday school songs. But we know you, God. We walk with you. We've been hurt by this world Sometimes we're the ones who do the hurting. Sometimes we're the ones who hurt ourselves. You are with us. And you love us. And you bind our broken hearts. Lord, I pray over these young people here. You know what they've gone through. Those watching, you know what they've gone through. And Lord, in this world, you know what we're going to go through. We're not done hurting just yet. But we stand strong, looking forward to victory. God, you have given us victory over death when Christ raised from the dead. And we know death is not the end. Even though it's still around, it has been defeated. We know, Father, that when relationships fail, we continue to trust and build our relationship with you. It is not the end. 
And marriage isn't going to fix everything. Only our relationship with you is going to fix that. And Lord, continue to convict us of our sin, that we can repent so that we won't be condemned to hell. Do we feel bad? Yes. Are we damned? No. Because Christ is our victory. You've given us victory over death. You've given us victory over broken relationships. You give us victory over our sin. And today, Father, we surrender our grief. We don't know how long it's going to hurt. We don't know how long we're going to walk with you through this pain. But we know that we're not going to walk alone. Even if we feel like death has robbed us of something. Nobody knows what we feel like. Even if we feel like we failed in relationships and no one's going to want us or no one wants us, we are not alone. Even if we feel like our sin has separated us from you, the Bible clearly says what can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor anything can separate us from the love of God. Lord, we remember David and how he slayed Goliath, and David, how he was a man after your own heart. But today we read in your word how David was real. And he brought you his grief and his pain and his feelings. But God, remind us in your word that what we feel is not necessarily what we believe. We can feel sad and believe that you are good. We can feel pain and believe that you are our healer. We can feel angry and still believe that you love us and that you have a plan for us. And the Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God, we don't see right now how our grief is going to work for our good. But through your love, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, we trust that you would bring good from our grief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, we went through it today. And I want to encourage you who are watching, if you know somebody who's hurting, if you know somebody going through something, share this with them. Share the link. We are nothing if not honest when it comes to the necessity of trusting God with our lives. It's not uh, a youth group. It's a youth ministry. We've spent too many years in the Word. We've spent too long searching the Scriptures to just lie to ourselves about what it takes to follow God. It hurts. It's difficult, but He is with us every step of the way. And before I sign off, guys, I always say this, but it is always true. Remember that I love you. And God loves you, and I'm praying for you, and he is watching over you. And I'm going to keep praying for you guys because we know that grief is not over as we grow and as we become young adults and adults and we are involved in ministry and the workplace and everything. This world's hard. It's hard to live in this world, but we trust in God. And I know that it wasn't a, a normal encouragement message where, you know, we're laughing and joking and having a great time, but I believe in my heart that this is what we needed. And moving forward that we can come back to this message. You can replay it. You can comment. You can share it. You can hang on to it. Because even more importantly than anything that I have to say to you, whether audio or video, your Bible is always available. On your phone, on the Bible app, your iPad, whatever it is, Batteries never die in a paper Bible. I like to say that. And uh, 
I'll be chewing on this word myself too. The Lord's working in my heart and I believe that he's going to continue to work in your heart as well. And so for now, we'll, we'll get a little more processing done here with the live audience, but I want to thank you guys for tuning in and I'll let you know that we see you next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you.